This time of the year always reminds me of just my childhood. Uh, I, I grew up in southern Indiana, very small town. And what marked the fall season for us was a festival in, I mean, a very small town called Canaan, Indiana. I mean, if you sneezed, you'd drive right through it. And it had no, uh, no uh, stop signs. You missed it. Oh, bro. There's always one in every crowd, isn't there? Mm-hmm. I'll see you in the lobby afterwards, young man. Marriage counseling's coming for you. And I, uh, every year this Canaan Fall Festival, thousands of people would descend upon this little town. And it had no stoplights, a stop sign that none of us followed. We drove right through the stop sign all the time. And uh, don't say that in front of the judge, though. Okay. We would have this festival, and every year, the people who organized it, because there were so many kids, they'd do games. And so we'd have sack races, wheelbarrow races where you'd hold the feet of someone, and we had to shimmy down a, a course. And then uh, one of the things that they did that I loved and looked forward to was a greased pole climb. And every, I'm telling you, I'm podunk, middle of nowhere. You guys had Nintendo and all that stuff. We had greased pole. This is what we did. And, and uh, I remember every year, we'd, every one of us would give our best attempt because at the top of that pole that they'd greased up would be a bicycle tire. And hanging from the spokes would be brown bags. And we had no idea it was in those brown bags for a couple of years because none of us ever made it to the top until the third year when we got smart. And I remember I said, hey, we all got together. We're like, we're going to put the big fellas on the bottom. And they're going to circle the pole. And then we're going to make a, 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 just a pole of people, middle size and the next size up and next size up. And finally, we'll find one person who's the smallest person, tiniest person, that's going to climb up the back of everybody all the way up that pole. And then we're going to get all the bounty that's been uh, evading us for two years. I happened to be that little dude that had to climb up the back of all them people. You know how terrified you are to know that the only thing holding them is a grease pole up in there? And I'm, I'm terrified. I'm shaking. I'm getting all the way up there. And man, I got up there and I started pulling down every one of them. I was making it rain in the middle of nowhere. And dropping down. And in those bags were $2 bills, silver coins, pocket knives. It was heaven. And we finally get down to the bottom, and they let me have the pick of whatever was there because I braved and climbed all the way to the top. It was an awesome moment of victory. We had conquered the Grease Pole. And I remember that moment just thinking, uh, and even just reflecting on it now, is just that the power of partnership and how we couldn't do it for years by ourselves, but when we worked together around a common mission, climbing a Grease Pole, we were able to reap a reward that we couldn't reap on our own. And speaking of partnership, today we honor uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Today is the day, August 28, 1963, where he gave probably one of the most famous speeches on American soil, the I Have a Dream speech. And for many of us, that's all we know about that speech, those phrases, I have a dream. What's next? I don't know. Uh, If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it. It's an incredibly powerful speech. Twenty-something metaphors and images that he alludes to in there. And right before he gets into that rhythm part at the end where he's talking about uh, all the different uh, 
places, the Stone Mountain in Georgia and the Mole Hills and the Rolling Hills of Mississippi, uh, and then let freedom ring, let freedom ring. Right before that, about halfway through, he does something. He, he pauses and speaks to the white folks, he says, in the crowd. Because it's so easy to think that the only people that were there were African-Americans or black people. But really, there was a large group, congregation, of Anglo-white people who attended that, peppered throughout the group. And so Dr. King felt at that moment he had to specifically address them. He calls them white folks just before this. Here he calls them my white brothers. Here's what he says. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. Then he says these words, we cannot walk alone. He would go on to say, we must continue marching on. We must not turn back now at this moment. And I just love at that moment, he speaks to the power of partnership, that we have to walk together in order to eradicate the racism that is pervasive in our land. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about partnership. And in fact, when we're going to be studying partnership, that word, over the next few weeks as we lead up to some two important days on September the 11th and 18th, and we talk about what we're doing in our community and around the world, this thing we call partnership is powerful. So I want to look at what the Bible says about it, because here's the thing. In the Bible, God multiplies our resources. God multiplies our impact through the principle of partnership. You see this in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 30. It says this, how could one soldier chase a thousand or two put 10,000 to flight unless the Lord had given them up? Other places would echo the same things, this multiplication that takes place through partnership that one could do a thousand, but two could do 10,000. You mean to tell me through partnership, I can multiply my impact, my influence, my resources tenfold? seems to be what it's alluding to here. I've been praying for a few years now that God would give us a 10 times anointing on our church, that we would see 10 times as many people attend on a weekly basis, 10 times the amount of resources that we give around the world. And how is that going to be possible? Through this one principle of partnership. I want you to look with me now in Ecclesiastes 4. This is King Solomon outside of Christ, the wisest person who ever lived. He's looking back in Ecclesiastes. He's an old man now looking back at life, highlighting the things he's learned from the different seasons of his life. And he highlights this principle of partnership. Now, you may notice it if you've ever been to a wedding and maybe even had uh, this at your wedding, you, this thing of partnership read. It's not in the context of marriage, though we use it there, but it applies to all partnership. Here's what it says. Here's how he opens it up. Two are better than one. And then he gives us four reasons why. Because they have a good return for their labor. If either, either, either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to keep or help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? 
Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. I want to talk to you not just about the power of partnership, but I want to talk to you about the four areas where you're going to see multiplication in your life, where partnership will begin to show up. The principles of partnership can be applied. I'm going to give all four of them to you, and then we're going to go back and teach them. First one is work. I'll start with W. Second one is your walk. So we go work, walk. Next one is warmth. And that may not make sense right now, but it will in a second. Warmth. And the last one is warfare. Four words. Work, walk, warmth, and warfare. First one, let's talk about it here. Work. It says in verse 9, two are better than one. Here's the reason. Because they have a good return for their labor. They have a good return for their labor. Now, I'm going to use a lot of examples today to just highlight and extrapolate the teachings of the Scripture. And the first one I'm going to use is Belgian horses. Belgian horses are the greatest pulling animals in the world. If you've never seen one up close, I mean, they are massive. On average, they can pull about 4,000 pounds. That's, a, that's an SUV-sized car. They can pull some weight. And, but if you were to put two of them together, you would think they 4,000 times two that they should pull 8,000 pounds. But the reality is that's not what happens. When you, can, when you put two Belgian horses together, they, they, can, they can pull 8,000, but on average they pull 16,000. Doctors, I don't know why, and people who study these animals don't know how it happens, but something happens. There is a latent synergy that is released when they get together and work towards a common goal that multiplies the 4,000 to 16,000. It's a powerful thing. But here's what they've studied. They took two random Belgian horses that didn't know each other and put them in the same stall and allowed them to do horse life together. What is horse life? They eat together. They drink together. They frolic in the fields together. Swat flies together. Whatever they do together. And for three months, they put them in the same stall. And then they let them pull again after three months of knowing each other. Do you know what they go to on average from 16,000 after three months of relationship? They go to 32,000 pounds. Now you're multiplied eight times. That's amazing what happens. But do you know what the world record is? Two brothers who had spent their whole life together. And when they reached their pulling age, they, they're harnessed together, and they began to pull, and the world record is 52,000 pounds. It's the principle of partnership. It's the synergy that's released when you bind yourselves together and move towards a common purpose, and it's the miracle of multiplication that takes place. Work. Next is walk. Listen to what it says. It says, verse 10, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Now, I'm just going to go out on a guess on a limb today, and I'm going to say something. And you may not think it's true about you, but it is. Is that we, including myself, all have issues. 
Come on. We have issues. You're dealing with some internal issues. You're going through some stuff, some issues, sometimes a lot of issues uh, together. And if you're sitting here and be like, no, I ain't got no issues. Well, then that's your issue right there. You got issues. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. You got issues. Now, if it's your spouse, keep quiet. Don't do that. I love this time of the year because I love to see uh, the geese fly over in V formations. This is a reminder that there's a change of the season. I'm always enamored by their ability to get in this V flying formation and flying from north to south. They say that when the lead geese or the goose is breaking the wind, what he can do is he creates an uplift for every single goose that follows behind. And they can fly 72% further in a V formation than they can on their own. In fact, uh, in the United States military, when they fly from the West Coast to Hawaii or Japan, they will mimic the V formation of the geese because they can't carry enough fuel to fly over that body of water. But when they draft off of each other like the, the geese do, they're able to fly great distances and increase their range of influence. But you know what's interesting about this is that when say one of the geese for some reason maybe got too tired maybe got sick maybe if it's hunting season got shot down and if one of those geese were to fall to the ground what instinctively what happens is two of the other geese will break formation they will circle back to where that fallen goose has landed and they will land a short distance away and they will sit there and wait sometimes a day, two weeks, sometimes three weeks. And they will watch over that fallen, fallen goose. And if that goose, for whatever reason, finally gets its strength back, overcomes the sickness, and is able to fly again, they will sit there and wait as a group of three for another V formation to fly over. And all three will fly back up into that V formation. And they will continue their journey. I thought about that. Man, we got a lot to learn from the geese. I mean, how many of you would love that in life? Where you find yourself in a situation, man, where you're dealing with an issue and it feels like you've fallen down and two or three brothers or sisters come alongside of you, watch over you, take care of you, and are able to help restore you back to health and get you back on your journey in the faith. It was Job who loses everything in the scripture. It's a credible story. Probably in the Bible, no one lost more than Job. And at the beginning, he sits there in chapter two, and you know who shows up? Two friends. There he is in the dirt, sackcloth and ashes, and two friends sit with him for a period of a few weeks and mourn with him. And then by the end, you know when everything changes for Job? is that at the end when the Bible says, and when Job prayed for his friends, God restored all that he had. It was the power of partnership that got Job through that difficult situation. So not only do you work together, you walk together. And then the next one is the, my favorite one of all. This is, there's warmth. It says, also if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone. You know, in life, there's going to be a lot of dark, 
hold discouraging moments, sometimes seasons. And when I think about this in the context, not literally, but in the context of a relationship, I think about the warmth that an encouraging word can bring in a dark, cold, discouraging season. Have you ever had someone speak a a word of encouragement to you that was like hot soup on a cold winter day? You could feel it just go through your whole body and change your circumstances. I once preached a sermon, what no woman can resist and what no man can resist. I just saw two women raise their eyebrows like this. (laughs) What every marriage needs. You know what it was? Encouragement. Sometimes it's so easy in our most important relationships to allow contempt to go in, grow in, and and we think, man, the one that we need to encourage the most, we don't. Back to the geese, because I just think those are cool illustrations. You You often can see them before you hear them. You ever been outside and working a yard on a walk and all you hear, I mean, it's just like, it's just, hung, hung. you ever been shopping at Target around here? Hung, 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 hung. Yeah, they're, they're there. But you, you know, ornithologists tell us, they've studied this. What are they doing? When they're back there, just honking. You know, the lead goose doesn't honk. It's the ones behind that goose that's honking. I mean, they're just honking, yelling at that thing. But what are they yelling? You know what they've discovered, ornithologists tell us? Is that they're honking encouragement. Keep flapping those wings. Looking good. Those, those feathers have never looked so fine on you. Honk, 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 honk. How many know we need a lot less honking like this? And more honking like this. Come on. Hey, that's right. In fact, here's what I want to do. I want us to practice some honking right now. I'm going to give you one minute on the clock. I want you to turn to a person next to you. If this is your spouse, come on. I'm helping you out. It's time to honk a little bit. You look good. I like your hair. Oh, I like it when you did this today. Come on now. Let's go. One, two, three. Turn and honk a little bit. Come on. Honk. I want some honking. Honk, honk, honk. I said honk, brother, not kiss. I didn't say kiss. I didn't say that. Keep your hands to yourself. Let's get some honking. You got 30 seconds. Honk to another person. Find another person and honk at them. Oh, yeah. Honk it up. You know, some of you ain't smiled since you've been here, but you're smiling now. I've seen some couples just scoot right next to each other. Put a, one person put the hand on the leg right there. You better be married. That's all I got to say, okay? <laughs> Holding hands, kissing. I'm telling you, honking's what you need. Honking. Anyway, the spring. I was at a Wawa's gas station in Florida, Clearwater, Florida. I was there for a seminary class. I was able to bring my family. I had to go to class all day. They went to the beach all day. How many know there's something wrong with that? We were, had rented a car for the week, and we're getting ready to catch uh, the plane back home. 
It's about five or six o'clock and traffic jam is all the roads in Florida are at that time. And when you know it at the red light, a car stalled and wasn't moving line traffic's moving, but this whole big line and right behind that car, I see this happen. A fella driving rolls down his window. The car in front of him is not moving. And I see him just lean out like this. And the guy pretends like he's honking his horn, but there's no sound coming out. Instead, every time he went like this, he's yelling at the car in front of him, honk, 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 honk. And I thought, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. This dude don't have no horn, but he's yelling like he's a horn at the person in front of him. My kids, for I mean, still to this day, randomly, they're like, Dad, remember that guy that was just honking his horn? Funniest thing ever. And that, there's no repeating except it hits my point. We got to honk the right way, okay? Keep honking. Warmth. Last one is warfare. It says this, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly and not easily broken. For this, I'll turn, uh, we'll turn to a different animal. But when you come to families of animals, we often give them names. You've got cattle as a herd, whales, a group of whales is a pod, a group of frogs is actually an army of frogs. You've got fish, a school of fish. You've got a group of lions. We call them a pride of lions. But the rhino is an interesting animal. If you've ever been near a rhino, they're massive, sometimes bigger than your, your car and several thousand pounds, and they can run up to 30 miles an hour, but they can only see 30 feet at a time. They have a very small window of vision. But let's say a pride of lions surrounds a group of rhinos, and those rhinos will get together, and even though they can see 30 feet, man, they get to move. And you think that vision would limit them, but no. They are incredibly an unstoppable force, and they will just mow over and destroy anything in their path if they get moving. They call a group of rhino a crash. Appropriately named. Because, man, if they get moving, they're going to crash over anything in their midst. And even if they're laying dormant or just laying down on the ground, they still call them a crash because of the potential force that is lying dormant in them. They will crash into that. You know, the, I like to think of that in the terms of this. The Bible says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Apostle Paul said, you are partners with me in this gospel because you prayed for me. And I just want to think, you're going to face some stuff in your life that you're, you can't be the lone ranger. You're going to need the principle of partnership, other people alongside of you to magnify your force as you fight cancer, as you fight depression, as you fight life-controlling issues, as you fight hanging on to your marriage, as you fight the works of the enemy against you. You want to gather together. And even though you may only see 30 feet ahead of you, you can't see tomorrow, you can't see a year from now, and you can't see what's going to happen, all you got to see is in front of you. Get some people behind you moving in the same direction. And there's a multiplication of force that dismantles, disrupts, and destroys the works of the enemy. So four principles. There's work, there's warmth, there's a walk, and there's warfare. Now here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to take the elements of communion and I want you to prepare them in your hands because we're going to apply this now through the act of communion. If you didn't get communion on your way in, just raise your hand and we'll make sure you get the elements. Just keep it up until somebody services you. We don't practice closed communion. You don't have to be a member here to receive the elements of communion. We'll help. Um, What we say with parents, we just leave it up to parents to decide for their children. We won't police that. We just ask that you have a relationship with Jesus, that's all. And please wait till the very end so that we can receive the elements of communion together. You know, the beautiful thing about every one of these guys is that every one of these point to one person, the greatest partnership of all, the person of Jesus Christ. And we're gonna walk through in the next few moments these elements of communion And we're going to talk about each one of them point to the greatest partnership, Jesus Christ. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just create a God space for you. The most important thing that you have happen right now is that you and God have a conversation. In a room with this size, I just know that there are individuals here. Maybe you got the elements of communion. Maybe you deferred them. And you're sitting here and you've never yoked your life to Jesus Christ. Never partnered with him. And never invited him to be the Lord of your life. Adopted into his family through a personal relationship, a covenant relationship with him. You know, I was praying this morning. Sometimes God just speaks to me about who's coming that day. And I just had this little thought go through my mind this morning. Tell the people, I felt like the Lord said to me, tell the people that I can save to the uttermost. That means you may think that you are the unsalvageable person. You are the one that is unredeemable. You sin too much. I would encourage you, don't give so much um, power to your sin because nothing is more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ to redeem you and to save you and to make you clean. So don't forfeit your soul because you feel condemned. He's convicting you right now. He wants a relationship with you. And I'm pausing this service and taking my time right now. And you, maybe you've wandered far away and you're saying, I'm too far. No, no, no. I, I just believe right now the Holy Spirit is compelling me to draw you towards him again. And if that's you, man, every head's bowed and eye closed. Just put your hand over your heart and ask the Lord to change your heart, to save you, to redeem you, to forgive you and to cleanse you and to make you brand new. Though your sins are red like crimson, they shall be made white as snow. Partner with him right now. Give your life to him. No magic words. It's the faith behind your words that matter. Jesus, save me. I surrender my life to you. And as you're praying, now I'm praying for the rest of the room, those who are in Christ. You know what? I love communion. It reminds us of who Jesus is and what he came to do. We can look at the same thing a thousand different ways. And today we're going to look at it through these four prisms of partnership. The Bible says we're co-laborers, co-heirs with Jesus. And I want to talk about the work that he wants to do. The Bible says that he who began a good work in you 
will be faithful to complete it to the very end. The Bible says in the context of a vine and a branch, he's the vine and we're the branch. And if we will stay connected to him, we would bear much fruit. It is a partnership. And if you just need to connect with him right now one more time, even as you're praying, not just in your head and heart, but with your words now and the elements of communion that makes all of this possible, say, Jesus, you're the, you're the vine. I'm just the branch. I want to stay connected to you. Do a work in me, Lord, a fresh work in me. Come on. Maybe you've just wandered away in your relationship and it's been really hard. And there's no life to it. Come on, right there are the elements of communion. Ask him right now. Do a work in me, Lord. Next is walk. Pity the one who falls and has no one to pick him up. That's the beautiful thing. The Bible says we're forgiven, but if we do sin, we have an advocate before the Father who says that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us our sins. The Bible says if we will humble ourselves under his mighty hand, that he will lift us up in due season. He says that he will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Right now, I just, as you hold these elements, often I just feel a deep humility when I take communion. Humble yourselves right now. Come on, Christian, I want you to pray. Humble yourself. If you feel like you've fallen, but you still love Jesus and you need him to restore you, repent right now and ask him to cleanse you again. Come on. To restore in you a new heart. Next is, is warmth. I just love this verse that says, if Christ be for me, who can be against me? He's for you this morning. And you need to hear that because you've written it in sand. But this morning, God wants to cement it in your heart. He is for you. And if he's for you, who can be against you? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if he were here this morning, and he is through the person of the Holy Spirit, he wants to give you some warmth to encourage you. He is for you. Lastly is this, is warfare. The Bible says this, there's a greater that is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I'm not minimizing what you're facing, but let me just tell you, Jesus who lives inside of you is greater than anything you're facing on the outside. The Bible says that he, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you right now. He's doing warfare prayer on your behalf. And he's fighting for you. You can lean into that reality. In fact, you can proclaim judgment on the enemy every time you just say his name. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. You're more than a conqueror in him. He'll cause all things to work together for you good. Father, I just thank you right now that you're saving people in this room. 
and that you're doing an incredible work in the lives of people in this room. You're working. You're walking with us. You're providing warmth. And you're warring on our behalf. 